Do we have anybody here that really, really loves music? Like, you just love music. All right, like, I'm going to give some more qualifiers. I'm not talking about, like, you just like music and, and you want it to be on, but you, you love music. Like, you know a bunch of bands. Like, you know, you listen to all types of genres. Like, you just got, like, if I looked at your iPod or your phone, like, it's just all kinds of music. Anybody still got their hand up? Like, you just love music that much? Yeah. I'm with you. I love music. I love music so much. And if you listen to enough music, you start to realize that a lot of bands crossing different genres, they enjoy writing about similar things. There are songs all about similar things and similar topics. And so some of these topics are things like love. It seems like every band has a song about love one way or the other, whether it's like love for a girlfriend or boyfriend or husband or wife or their dog, if like you listen to country music and usually the dog dies in the song and that's sad. Um, but, you know, love. And, and then there's all kinds of songs about having fun, like having a good time. They're, they're, it's like, again, country music, you like, they go to the lake and you ride a boat and you're in the cornfield and there's the one about like the roller coaster on the beach. I don't get it, but you know what I'm talking about? No, you don't listen to country music? I don't either. So anyways, uh, and, and you know, there's like, well, they're going to this party or they're just going to have fun. Like they, bands just love to write music about having a good time, like having fun. And then you've got bands who write about their childhood. And this could either be a really sad song or a really happy song, depending on how their childhood went. And then you've got, you know, bands that write songs about their family and their friends. And that can be really sad or really happy too. Again, especially if you're listening to country music, there's like always a song about the friend that passed away. It's, it's like, you're like, I don't get why, why, like if I'm like driving down the road and I want to listen to music, why would I turn to a station that I know is going to make me sad? You know what I mean? That's country music. But anyways, anybody just love country music? Am I just like bringing you down right now? I got a couple people. Jose, you love country music? I did not know that about Jose. What? Well, wow, that's crazy. Josh is like, eh, yeah, that means you don't love it. Rooney loves it? Well, to each his own, I guess. But <laughs> anyways, there, there's, this, there's one really unique topic that a lot of bands have, have written about. And it's, it, you know, it's, it's still unique, but there are probably hundreds of songs about this topic. And uh, it, it's, it's the song about what you would do if today was your last day. If you knew that today was your last day on earth, what would you do? How would you live? Has anybody heard a song about this before? Yeah, a few of you? No? No, no? Okay. Well, they all pretty much say the same thing. Because when you think about if today was your last day, or if you knew that you only had one more year to live, how would you spend your time? What would you do? A, a, a lot of these songs are pretty, are, are touching songs. They, they talk about, I would, I would love, I would forgive, I would do all these things. I, I, would, I would try and make an impact with the time that I have left. And if you don't believe me, I'm going to give you some examples here, okay? Here's some lyrics to one song. It says, if today was your last day and tomorrow was too late, could you say goodbye to yesterday? I'll be honest, I don't get that, but we're going to keep going. Would you live each moment like your last? Leave old pictures in the past? Donate every dime you have? Would you forgive your enemies? Would you make your mark by mending a broken heart? Right? Would you do all of these things that are, are good? Would you do these good things if you knew that you only had one day left to live? Here's another one. I'd call anybody who I ever hurt and reconcile. I'd call everyone I love. I'd speak love to anybody who came close enough to listen. 
And if someone had done me wrong, I'd call and tell them I forgot. In other words, I'd call and tell them I forgive them. Here's one more. I would call my parents and tell them I love them. I wouldn't waste my time or my breath. I would say I love you in my life and death if I had one minute left. And there are hundreds more examples, hundreds more songs where people write about what would they do if they had one day, one minute, one hour, one year, whatever. And they're all very similar. The, the artists, they're, they're writing about how they would love, how they would forgive, how they would, how they would try and, and be nice and show compassion, and they would right their wrongs, and they would do, oh, they'd reconcile, they do all of these great things. All right, well, I want you to think about what would you do if you only had one month left to live? If you had one, one year, we'll say, how, how would you want to spend that year? If you knew one year left, it's all you had, what would you want to do? How would you be living differently? I want you to go ahead and open your Bibles to the book of 1 Peter, chapter 4. We are in uh, the second part of our series about living for God's glory. So, of course, we're going to continue talking about what does that look like? How do we live our lives for the glory of God? And and in these verses we're looking at today, verses 7 through 9, Peter, he talks about this idea of the end being near. Of the end being near. And he's going to tell us how we should live because the end is near. So whenever you think about how how you answered that question, what would you do if you had one more year to live? Most people say they would do things differently. Most people, when they're reflecting on their lives and they're being honest, they would say, man, if I had one year left, I would do things a lot differently. I'd be nicer. I would love better. I would forgive. I would call my parents more. I, I would say I love you more. I would do all these things. Well, what we've got to realize is what Peter is saying is, is he's saying the end is close. We are not promised a, another second, another minute, another hour, another year. We're not promised that at all. And because the end is close, we need to be living for the glory of God. So whatever that answer was that you thought of, how would you live this next year differently? Truthfully, that's the way that you should be living every day, every single day. And the reason is because... The end is actually close. That's what the Bible says. And we're going to read about that. A bunch of different verses today. But that's what the Bible says. That the end of all things is near. Alright, so look with me now. 1 Peter chapter 4. Look at verse 7. It says, The end of all things is at hand. There it is right there. The end of all things is close. It's at hand. Therefore. When you see the word in the Bible, therefore, you should ask a question. Does anybody know the question I've told you you need to ask? When you see therefore, you need to ask, what is it there? For. Yeah. So when you see that word, it says the end of all things is at hand, therefore. Meaning, because the end is near, we should be doing these things he's about to talk about. Right? So he's letting us know there's instruction coming. This is important. So the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all. When you see that phrase in the Bible, what is that telling us? Above all, what? It's important. It's super important. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. All right, so look, we need to be motivated. We need to be motivated because the end is near. We need to be motivated to godliness. 
That's what Peter's getting at. To live our lives for the glory of God. The end is close. We don't know when exactly it's coming, but we know it's near. And because of that truth, we should be motivated to live godly lives. And Peter's going to tell us exactly the things that, that God wants us to do in order to live godly lives because the end is close. And so when he says that the end of all things is at hand, that's an expression. And that means it's very near. It's like it's near enough for your hand to grab it. Or think about what, what's near you, the, the chair next to you, your, your, your Bible is at hand, your friend's Bible is at hand, the binders, they're right here, you can grab it, they're right, they're so close to you. So when Peter says the end is, is at hand, that's how close, it's near, it's almost here. And I'm sure that you have heard talk, you've heard conversation about the end times or the last days, right? Any, anybody say, I've heard, we've talked, I've talked about this before with friends or I've, I've seen a movie about it maybe even, right? You've, you've talked about the end times. And then maybe you've heard people say something like this, hey, the end times are coming. Anybody heard that before? The end times are coming. Oh, they're really close. Oh, we're so close to the end times, right? Maybe like an earthquake happened and then everybody's like, oh, the end times are close because the earthquake and the natural disasters, right? You've heard people say that? Anybody with me? Yeah, people talk about that. Well, biblically speaking, we are already in the end times. We're here. We're in the last days. So when people say, it's close, the end times are close, it's like, yeah, we're here. It's, so, it's actually now. We're in the end times. Now, biblically speaking, uh, that's, that's the truth. In the end times, the last days, they began when Jesus was <clears throat> resurrected and when he ascended into the heavens. That's when the last days started. All right, because here's what happened. We've been living in these last days for the last 2,000 years. So here's what happened. In the book of Acts, in chapter 1, here's what it says. So when they had come together, they, being the disciples, had come together with Jesus after the resurrection, after he's been or on the earth for 40 days after this, they come together, and the disciples ask him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? So they're thinking, this is the time. This is the time where we're, we're not persecuted anymore. This is the time where Jesus is going to make everything perfect. It's, it's, it's going to be the best thing ever for us. And he, they ask him, is this the time? And Jesus said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. So they're asking him, is it now? Is it now? And he says, it's not for you to know. It's not for you to know. And in other words, he's saying, it's not right now. And you don't need to worry about it. It's not for you to know. But what you do need to know is that God, the Father, has fixed the time. From the beginning of creation, from before, before creation, before Genesis 1-1, God existed. God was there. We know God exists outside of time. God does not age, right? All of these things. He's spirit. So from, he's the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end, right? He, eternal, always. And so from eternity past, he has had this fixed. He has the date. He knows exactly when the end is coming because he determined it. He knows. And he tells us, hey, I know when it is. And you guys, it's not for you to know. It's not for you to guess. It's not for you to worry about. So, just side point, when people are saying, oh, I, I did this math and I read the numbers in the Bible and God showed me that the end, the last day is, is January 1st, 2060. All you have to say is, eh, nope, <laughs> not right. Well, how do you know I'm wrong? Because God said it's not for man to know. So we don't need to waste our time trying to guess, right? Were any of you guys alive in 2012? Three of you? Do you guys know where I'm going with this? You heard about the whole 2012 stuff? The Mayan calendar. The Mayan, ancient Mayans, 
they were apparently really technologically advanced, and they had this calendar and like coordinated with the stars and this calendar they created way, way back. They made this calendar all the way through the year 2012. Then the calendar stopped. So what did all of these people start saying? They knew. They knew that 2012 was going to be the last year. And guess what people did? They lost their minds. This is the end of the world. This is the end. This is the end. And, and, and people, there, there were churches, people who, who professed to be Christians. They like went up to mountaintops and they waited for Jesus to come back. and be, All because the Mayan calendar stopped. right? But God says, look, it's not, it's not for you to know. It's not for us to know. All we need to know is that God has said that he knows, and Jesus is going to come back. So, uh, it says in verse 8, Acts chapter 1, verse 8, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So Jesus says, it's not for you to know when the last day is, but this is what you need to know. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit's going to help you Proclaim the gospel and share the gospel with the world. To the ends of the earth. That's your job. The job of the church, that's your job. Not to be worried about when the end is, but to proclaim the message of the gospel to as many people as you possibly can. That is the job of the church. And then in verse 9 it says, And we had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. I want you, right now, to put your shoes, uh, to put yourself in the shoes of the disciples. Jesus has died on the cross, he's resurrected, right? And you're asking him, now, is now when you restore the kingdom? Are we going to enter into all this perfection that we've, is it now? And he says, it's not for you to know. The Holy Spirit's going to come, and you need to tell people about me so they put their trust in me. That's what you need to do. And then all of a sudden, Jesus starts going up into the air, right? And the disciples are just standing there, and they watch him go up, into the clouds, and they're staring at the clouds. And I, I just imagine them standing there for, I don't know, a few seconds after they can't see him anymore. Have you ever let go of a balloon? And it just, and then it's gone, right? Kind of just p- picture that, right? They're watching him go. And then they're looking up here, and then all of a sudden, these two guys pop up randomly beside them. They weren't there before. And they, and they say this, men of Galilee. You just imagine that. You're looking up, and you hear, men of Galilee. And they're like, wait a minute. Who who are you? And the, the, they say this, men of Galilee, by the way, uh, these two men stood by them in white robes, probably angels there. Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. So there's a promise in God's word that Jesus will return the same way, as in he will descend, come back to earth in the same way. And God knows when this is going to be, People don't know. If people do tell you they know, they're lying. Don't listen to them, and don't waste your time trying to find out. You need to use your time right now to give God glory by doing what he says here. What Jesus said is proclaiming the gospel, sharing the gospel with as many people as you possibly can. And so we do know this. One day Jesus will return the same way. Revelation chapter 1 verse 7, it says, Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him, even so. Amen. Now, maybe you're thinking, how can God say that the end is soon if it's been 2,000 years since that happened? 
We're thinking, wait a minute, that's not soon. If we have to wait another 2,000 years, that isn't soon. Well, I want you to remember what I said a minute ago. I said that God exists outside of time. He's not... He's, he's present with us in his like, spirit, but he, he's not bound by time or by space. That's how he can be omnipresent and omniscient and all these things, okay? So God is not aging, right? He's not like ticking down the, the clock like we do with our days. He's outside of this. And so it, to help us understand this, the Bible says that to God, 1,000 years is like a day to God. And a day is like 1,000 years, so what the Bible is saying is a thousand years to us, it's nothing. It's just like a day to God. So when we think, okay, it's been 2,000 years, how many days is that to God? Two days. It's two days, right? So when you think about it that way, when he says it's soon, it could be another day. It could be another thousand years. I don't know. But soon. And, and really what he's trying to get us to see, not, not to think about a thousand more years or whatever, but what he's trying to get us to see is that the truth is, it, it could be any day. We do not know when it is. God knows when it is. And so the truth of this is that it could be any day. Jesus could return any second, any day. We do not know. So we are in these last days because Jesus could return at any moment. And sometimes, sometimes this thought can scare Christians. Let's be honest for a second. Raise your hand if you've ever been freaked out about this stuff before. Thinking about the end times, has it ever been freaky? Yeah, sometimes it can be freaky if, if we're not properly educated about it. it. Listen, if you get your end times theology from Hollywood, you're going to get freaked out. Don't go to Hollywood. Don't watch the movies. Read the Bible, okay? Read the Bible and listen to credible sermons, okay? Um, go to focalpoint.com and listen to what Pastor Mike has said about it. It's way better than going to Hollywood, okay? Um, the truth is, if you're a Christian, this should not freak you out. It shouldn't scare you. If you have put your trust in Jesus, the return of Christ, it shouldn't scare you. It shouldn't freak you out because we find hope in this because of what's going to come. We're going to talk about this here, what, what's going to come. But if you're not a Christian, okay, I, I'm not saying that, I'm not, I'm not trying to scare you or anything like that, but what I'm trying to tell you is that it should create urgency in you. For you to think, I don't know if I'm right before God. I don't know if I am, if he has forgiven me of my sin. I don't know. Or, or maybe you're thinking, I don't know if I even really believe in all this stuff. But what I'm telling you is, it's all true. Jesus is going to come back. It could be any moment. And that should create urgency in you to figure it out. To get your life right before God. Okay, To put your trust in you. To repent of your sin. To put your trust in Jesus Christ. Okay, Last week I told you this. I told you about the biggest lie that people your age tell themselves? What, what was that lie? You have time. You have time. Young people you, you, all the time are thinking, I, I, don't, I don't need to think about this. I'm just 12. I'm just 13. Like, I'll think about this when I get married and when I have kids. And like, I'll, I'll, just, I'll, I'll teach them. But right now, I just want to do what I just want to do. That's, that's a lie to say that you have time because you don't know how much time you have in two senses. Okay, We're not promised another day in the sense of we don't know when our life is going to come to an end. We don't know. There's no way for us to know. So we don't know how much time we have left in that sense, but we also, we don't know when exactly Jesus is going to return and when the end of all things is going to come. So this should create urgency in you, right, to get your life right before God, right? Now look, Christians have no reason to fear the second coming of Jesus. In fact, Christians, we should be excited about it. And so here's point number one. Be excited. 
that the end is near. Be excited about this. And I want you to understand what this means, the end of all things being near. Here's, here's what this means. This is referring to the end of life as we know it on this sinful earth, on this imperfect where we are, life as we know it here. All right, We're not talking about the end of all things as in Jesus is going to come back and then all of a sudden nothing in, in the universe will be here anymore. We're talking about life here as we know it on sinful, imperfect earth. And so the end of all things, it refers to the complete, the finished, the victory of Jesus, the triumphant one. To, to, to complete, like Satan will be cast into the lake of fire, right? That's what it talks about. He's going to be bound forever and ever there, trapped for all of eternity in the future. And everything's going to be perfect. So that's the end that we're talking about. And a lot of stuff is going to happen, right? If, if you study eschatology, the study of last things, there's so much stuff you're going to hear about, like the return of Jesus, this thing called the rapture, the tribulation, the thousand-year reign of Christ. There's so much stuff that we don't have time to talk about, okay? Um, but if you do train next year, that's when we'll talk about it, okay? Eighth graders, you've already heard about it before if you did train. Um, but the point is, when Jesus returns, ushers in the, the end of all things, sin completely done for forever, Christians put in this perfect place forever, no more sin, no more pain, no more heartache, nothing like that, new heaven, new earth, perfect as God intended from the beginning. And here's what Revelation 21 says. I want you to write that down, the whole chapter of Revelation 21, okay? This is John describing the vision that God gave him of these days that we're talking about. He says, Then I saw a new heaven and new earth, for the, first, uh, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. So he says, okay, new heaven, new earth, there's no more sea, there's no more ocean. Okay, wow. I saw the holy city, new Jerusalem, coming down from heaven from God, uh, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. So in this perfect place, this perfect place that God has prepared for Christians to go, he will be with us. Now look, he is with us right now in the sense of omnipresence, but he's not with us in his fullness. We can't be in the full presence of God because of sin nature. We can't do that. But when we go there, we're going to be perfect. We're going to be perfect. And we can finally be in the literal, the presence of God, the, the perfect presence of God. He, we're dwelling with him. And, and it says that when we're there dwelling with him, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. No more death. And Neither shall there be mourning, no, no crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. All right, so this is talking about the wonderful things that Christians, that we will have. We put our trust in Jesus. When this all happens, we're going to be in the presence of God, perfect. No more sin, no more pain, no more crying, no more heartache, none of that. It's perfect, literally perfect in every single way. We should be excited about this, a new and perfect dwelling place. And so the truth about this is, the end, it will be so much better than what you have right now. It'll be so much better than what you and I have right now. Even if you look at your life and you think, my life is perfect. I have everything I could ever want. I have a great family. I have great friends. I have great stuff. I, I, it's a great life. It's nothing. It is nothing compared to how perfect and how amazing it will be in eternity in the presence of God. So sometimes we can have a thought, especially your age, you can have a thought of, 
God, maybe you'll just wait to come back until I get married. You ever had that thought before? Or being honest, anybody thought that one? Yeah, okay, yeah, maybe you'll just wait. And I'm saying that because I thought that too when I was your age, okay? Maybe you'll just wait. Maybe I'll be able to have a family first. Maybe I'll be able to experience these good things. And once I do that, then you can come back. Now, look, I know that it's not intended to come across this way, but essentially what we're saying to God is, God, I want to do these things because they seem better to me right now. But the truth is they're not better. This is coming from a guy who I, I, have, I have a wonderful wife. I have a, an amazing son, and, and I love them dearly. But what I'm telling you is the future, the promise that God has for us, it is infinitely better than any earthly blessing that he could ever give us. We need to be excited about this. We need to be excited about the future. And we, we shouldn't ever think that we're we, to be sad about like missing out on something because of how infinitely better it's going to be there. Okay? So we've got to be excited about this. Be excited about the end. Now Peter, he starts this new section, and, and he has us think about the end. He, he's, got, he's getting us to think about it, and this may seem like an, an odd place to throw this, all right, because he's talked about all these other things, and then he says, the end is at hand. It's like, wait a minute, where'd that come from? Okay, well, let's remember uh, that he is, he's most likely, he's definitely trying to get his original audience to think about the end, to think about how amazing it's going to be, because remember, these Christians he's writing to are having a hard time. They're dispersed. They're being persecuted. Some of them have been killed for their faith in Jesus. And so he's trying to get them to think about how much better it's going to be. To get them excited about it. To, to know that it might be hard right now, but then it's going to be perfect. Completely perfect in every way. So be excited about it then. All right? But also, what he's doing is he's about to give all Christians some instructions on how they should live their lives in light of the end being near. Because the end is near, this is the way the Christian should live. And he's going to give some instruction. All right, and so he's using the end being near as motivation to follow Jesus in obedience. We should obey him because the end is near. So I want you to think about this, okay? If Jesus were to come back right now, this, this second, right now, would he be pleased with you? Would he be pleased with your life? Would he, would he be pleased with the way that you've lived? Would he be happy with how you've been living? James chapter 5, verse 9, if you were with us several months ago when we finished the book of James, you might remember this. James chapter 5, verse 9 says, Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. The judge there is spelled with a capital J. Anybody know why? Because God is the judge. God is the capital J, judge. And he is standing at the door. I want you to imagine with me, you are at home, you're in your room, the door is shut, but you know that one of your parents or both of your parents are standing on the other side of that door with their ear pressed up against it and they're listening to you. In that moment, would you dare do anything wrong? Maybe some of you are like, yeah, I'll do it. No, you won't. You're not that tough. You wouldn't do it because they are right there at the door. You know they're listening. You know they're watching. They're right there. At any moment, they could fling the door open and come in and say, what are you doing? You know that's wrong. The judge is standing at the door. This means that the God, the judge of all things, Christ, the Lord, he's at hand. So we got to remember this. He sees everything. He hears everything. He knows everything that you do. He knows how you spend your time. When the door is shut, when you think no one's seeing you, God's seeing you. 
So we got to understand that we got to be obedient. He's close. He's at the door, and we need to be obedient. And this is not in a sense of obligation or fear. This is, he's, he's watching me. He's right here. And I want to I obey him because I love him. I want to obey him because I love him. That's the motivation. He's near, he's close, I love him, and I want to obey him. All right? Well, what's one really practical way to give God more glory with your life? I'll tell you the answer. Peter brings it up. He says it right here. Be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. So to give God more glory with your life, have a better prayer life. Spend time in prayer. Be a young man or a young woman of prayer. And to have a better prayer life, to have more effective prayers, you need to be self-controlled. You need to have this thing called self-control. Here's point number two. Improve your prayer life by having self-control. You can have a better prayer life if you have self-control. So self-control, that is literally being able to control yourself. It's being able to not get angry and not yell at someone whenever they do something that annoyed you. Whenever you are tempted to do that, being in control of your emotions, in control of your tongue. Hint, we're going to talk about that at winter camp. You should sign up. Being in control of your tongue so that you don't say something that you will regret. When you're tempted to say something rude or make fun of someone or to gossip, you can have control over yourself. Whenever you really want to punch your sibling, you have control over yourself and you don't do it. That's self-control. Being in control of your body instead of your body controlling you. How often, let's, we've been honest a lot, and we're just going to keep being honest with each other, okay? How often do you do something, do you, do you react in a certain way, and you think, what have I done? Just like that weird dude in the video, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What have I done? I didn't mean to do that. I, I, I didn't, I don't know what just happened. I just like kind of went black and, and said that, and I don't know. You done that before? Yeah. The reason why is because in the moment, you had a lack of self-control. You lost control of yourself. And that's a scary thought, isn't it? That sometimes we are not even in control of our own bodies. That our emotions are so intense and our anger is so much that we just lose it. That's scary. And so God's word says, be self-controlled. Be self-controlled. And, and sober-minded, right? This means being in control of your mind as well. In control of your thoughts. Meaning when you start to think something sinful or think something that's not nice about someone else, you can control it. And you can say, nope, not thinking about that. I'm not going to do that. That's sinful. That's not honoring to God. I'm not going to think about it. So you're in control of your body. You're also in control of your mind. You have self-control. And what Peter is saying is, be self-controlled and sober-minded, meaning being able to stay focused on something, so that you can have a better prayer life. So you can have a better prayer life. Raise your hand once again, if sometimes prayer is really, really difficult for you. Yeah? If you're like me, sometimes your prayers are like this. God, thank you for this day and all the blessings you've given me, and thank you, and I want a cheeseburger. Uh, uh, Sorry, God, I know that was, um, what was I praying about? Thanks for this day. Wait, I already said that. And then I said the cheeseburger thing. Wait, I'm not even praying anymore. Uh, Anybody anybody been there before? Yeah? You know why that happens? It's because of a lack of self-control. It's because of a lack of being sober-minded. It's because... We struggle controlling our thoughts. We, can, we, we struggle staying focused. So what Peter is saying is that when we have better focus, we can have a better prayer life. And if we have a better prayer life, we have a better relationship with God. 
And so we all want, right, a better relationship with God, to be more like Jesus. So to be more like Jesus, we should be self-controlled in our prayers. And this takes commitment. This takes practice. It takes hard work. Becoming more self-controlled, it's like working out a muscle. Any, any, any lifters? Any weightlifters? Anybody been working out a little bit? Yeah? So let's just say, Rooney, I said, hey, come, come, to, the, come to the gym with me today and let's bench press 300 pounds. By the way, I can't do that, okay? Would you be able to bench 300 pounds today? Why not? But one day you would like to bench press that, right? So what are you going to do to get there? He's going to keep working, keep going and keep going and keep going, right? Look, prayer is very similar. All right? It's just like getting better at anything. It takes practice. It takes commitment, right? So we just got to we just got to pray. It's, it's, it's very practical advice. Okay, so first of all, how do I get better at having self-control? This might be shocking to you. Pray about it. Pray about it. When you pray, say, God, help me right now to be in control of my thoughts. Help me to have what, what the Bible says. Help me to be sober-minded. Help me to be focused in prayer right now. Help me to do that. You guys remember Ashton's sermon on prayer a few weeks ago? You guys remember his first point? Actually start talking to God. Actually start, right? Just actually start to do it. So when we do that, when we take that advice and we just say, all right, God, I'm going to just start talking to you. One of the first things that we should say if we struggle with prayer is help me to be focused. Help me to have self-control. Give me more self-control so that your prayer life can improve, right? And then the next thing, so we pray and we ask God for self-control. And the next thing is we practice, we practice, 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 all right? You make it a point every day to, to pray. Even if it's this, you get a timer out, you set it for five minutes, and you say, I'm going to pray for five minutes, and no matter how many times I get distracted, I'm going to keep just bringing myself back in to refocus, and when that five-minute timer goes up, okay, then I'm done, okay? The more you do that, day after day after day, guess what's going to happen? At, one, at some point, that five-minute timer is going to go off, and, and you'll have prayed through the whole thing. And you can add more time. And look, I'm not saying you have to always pray with a timer, okay? I'm just saying you got to practice. you gotta, you got to just pray. Just pray, pray, pray. Make it a point. Think about your day. When can you pray? When's a good time for you to pray? Right now, not, not like, oh, when's convenient? Oh, I don't want to pray right now. I'm saying, when do you have the time? When can you make the time? When are you at home doing nothing but texting or playing video games or whatever, right? Use that time to pray instead. That's time God's given you. Use it wisely. Pray, practice, practice, practice. Pray for self-control and then practice, all right? And then, like, what's the reason why? The ultimate reason why we do this is so that we can have more effective prayers, right? Which is what I was saying, that more effective prayer. Thoughtful prayer is honoring to God. It's glorifying to God. Have you guys ever been talking to someone before and got really frustrated because they were doing this the whole time? Texting, yeah? How frustrating is that? It's a pretty disrespectful feeling, isn't it? Isn't it? Do you feel disrespected when you're trying to talk to someone and they're just looking at their phone the whole time? You're like, do you even care? Do you even care? Right? It's not glorifying to God whenever we get distracted a ton in our prayers. It's more glorifying to God whenever we can be undistracted and spend that time in prayer. Undistracted, real, thoughtful prayer. So that's what... We're after to glorify God, to have a prayer life that is glorifying to God. So we've got to be dependent on prayer. We've got to be depending on God and having this consistent time of undistracted prayer. And so the next words that we see 
are above all. That means this is very important. What Peter's about to say, this is super important. And he says this, Keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. And he says, Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. So once you've put your trust in Jesus, that is the most important thing that you can do. Hey, buddy, Moses, turn around. Thank you. The most important decision that you can make in life is to put your trust in Jesus. And then after that, the next most important thing that you can do is love. Love. Obey Christ. Obey the commands of Christ. Love one another. Love, love, love. And he says, love earnestly. Keep on loving every day, every moment. Constant love. Deep love for one another. And and then he says, love because it, it covers a multitude of sins because it lo- love covers a multitude of sins. What do you think about that? Love covers up sin? Does this mean that if I'm going to love people the best that I can, that means that I have to just like look over their sins and if people are going to love me, then they should just excuse my sins? What do you think? Is that right? That your sins should be excused? No, that's not what that means. But what Peter is saying is real love, it forgives. Real love it forgives. It covers it up. It forgives. So Peter's saying that real love, it will, uh, a Christian should be quick to forgive, quick to overlook. Not overlook and say, oh, it's fine, whatever, but to say, yeah, it hurt my feelings, but I forgive you because I love you. And I would want you to do the same thing for me. I would want you to forgive me if I hurt you. So that's what we do, okay? So here's point number three. Show real love through forgiveness and kindness. Forgiveness and kindness. He says to be hospitable, to show hospitality. And what that means is to be kind, to be caring. So God defines what love is, and in God's word says that you love one another by serving, by giving, by, by praying for them, by helping, by holding each other accountable. And now his word says, love one another by forgiving and being hospitable. By forgiving and being hospitable. So I want you quickly to think about all the people in your life that you see on a daily or a weekly basis. Just think about them right now. As many people as you can. Okay, you've thought about a few faces. How are you treating those people? How are you treating them? Are you loving them? Are you loving them well? Are you being kind and compassionate? Are you trying, are, are you caring for their needs before you look to your own needs? How are you treating them? God's word says that your love, the the love of a Christian, it should grow deeper every single day. That's earnest love. It grows every day. Grows and grows and grows. And he says specifically, real love is willing to forgive. Genuine love of others forgives others. That's, That's what you do is you forgive. So listen, if there's someone in your life, if there's someone in your life right now that you're not getting along with, that you're holding a grudge against, that they hurt your feelings, that something is going on, here's what you need to do. You need to forgive them. You need to forgive them. That's what real love does, is it forgives. You need to forgive them. Don't hold a grudge anymore, okay? You guys remember what Jesus said. Peter, the guy that wrote this, by the way, Peter said, Jesus, if someone hurts me, how many times should I forgive them? Seven times? And what Peter was saying is, seven times? Yeah, that's a lot like how godly I am. You know what Jesus' answer was? He says, 77 times, or other translations say 70 times, 7 times. And he's not saying 78th time, don't forgive. What he is saying is, Peter, you always forgive. You forgive because you love. And now Peter's writing this in this letter. You forgive. Love forgives. So if there's someone in your life that you are 
upset with, you need to forgive. And listen, you need to forgive without an apology. You don't say, I'll forgive when they apologize. That's not biblical. That's not real love. You forgive them because you love them. All right? And then it says, show hospitality without grumbling. Here's what that means. It should not be a chore to be kind to others. You should never feel like it's a chore to be kind and to love. When you see someone that needs a friend, when you see someone that needs help, you should never think, oh, I don't want to do this. Is that real love? It is not real love. Real, genuine love is saying, that person needs a friend. That person's alone. That person needs help. I love, I love people. I'm going to go help them. Without grumbling, without complaining. So if you want to bring God glory, you need to show real love by being kind and forgiving. Right, so here's what Peter is telling us. Jesus is coming back soon. We don't know when it's going to be. So first and foremost, you, have to, you need to make sure that you are right before a holy God. Have you repented of your sin? Have you put your trust in him? Once you've done that, with whatever time you have left, you need to bring him glory. You need to work on your prayer life. It brings him glory. You need to forgive others. It brings him glory. You need to be kind and compassionate to others because it brings him glory. Let's pray. God, please help us to be obedient to your word. God, help us to be people who love you first and, and, and love others well, the way that your word says to do. God, I pray that our, our prayer lives would get better. I pray that we would be excited for the, the, the things that your word talks about, that the promises that you have for us in the future, that God, we'd be excited about it, not, not fearful, not afraid, but excited about these things. God, help us to bring glory to you with our lives. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.